Hello and welcome to NFL First and Gold, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Eric Allen, the former NFL cornerback. On today's podcast, we'll focus on the return of Carson Wentz with Howard Eskin from the Eagles Radio Network. Let's kick off the podcast with our NFL insider. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, as always, we appreciate you taking the time half to start with the San Francisco 49ers. What can you tell us about Jimmy Garoppolo's knee injury? And as soon as it happened, uh, we knew it was a knee injury. Planted on the left sideline after pump faking and scrambling left. Uh, he got hit in the shoulder, but it was pretty clear this was a knee injury. And almost immediately, the San Francisco 49ers feared a long-term serious knee injury for Jimmy Garoppolo, their franchise quarterback. And just minutes after walking onto the uh, off the field, Kyle Shanahan, their coach, confirmed that the fears were that it was an ACL tear for Jimmy Garoppolo, which would mean if this was confirmed by the MRI that he was out for the season. Obviously a a significant, devastating blow for the 49ers. I mean, this is their franchise quarterback, their $27.5 million quarterback, someone who so much of their season rested on his shoulders, now facing the prospects of having to play without him going forward this season. And with the 49ers, what are the options? I mean, what are we looking at uh, for this team that coming into the season has so many high hopes? Well, you know, at this point, you would think they would have to acquire another quarterback at least uh, to be the backup. And, you know, of course, the first name that comes to mind is Colin Kaepernick, although hard to imagine the 49ers going down that road. You know, probably someone more likely would be someone who has a, uh, a past you know, with Kyle Shannon, maybe someone like Matt Shaw would be someone to come in and, and maybe be the backup. I mean, potentially trading for a backup would would be one option. It's not like there are a lot of great quarterback options on the street. You know, this is a this is a tough situation for for any team to you know potentially lose your starting quarterback in week three. It's not something anyone wants, but if they've lost Jarek McKinnon, they're starting running back now potentially. Jimmy Garoppolo, their starting quarterback, not the way the 49ers drew it up. With C.J. Beathard now becoming the starting quarterback in San Francisco, chatting with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian has a new weekly podcast, so be sure to check out Rap Sheet and Friends right here on TuneIn. Let's stay with the 49ers, Ian. How about Richard Sherman? He suffered an injury today as well. Yeah, this was described as a calf injury. Unclear how serious, but uh, Sherman was spotted, sources say, leaving the locker room in a walking boot. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a major injury, uh, but obviously something that he needed to stay off of and just be cautious of it. And so, uh, you know, for the 49ers, after a rough loss to the Chiefs, this is there was a lot of bad things that happened in this game, just a lot of bad things. Let's let's get to the Eagles and Colts game. Both quarterbacks coming off of major injuries. Uh, how do you think uh, the Eagles handled uh, uh, Carson's uh, first game? I think it was he he came out unscathed and the team won. Um, So to me, that's a huge win. Um, It was not the only interesting thing in that game. Um, The fact that the Colts took uh, Andrew Luck off the field for the uh, uh, for the Hail Mary was interesting too, honestly. Um, But as as far as Wentz went, you know, I think he was fine. I mean, you expect some rust. You expect it to be, um, you know, just uh, maybe take a little time to get back in there, but. I really thought he, he held up well, made some nice plays. The ball comes out of his hand nice still. Um, I thought it was a great day for the Eagles, absolutely great day. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network, Earl Thomas continues to 
prove his value for Seattle. He has an interception as they match up with Dallas, but he missed two days of practice this week. What does his future look like in Seattle? What's the likelihood that he's dealt prior to the trade deadline? Yeah, I would say skipped two days of practice would probably be a better way way to say it. not injury related, not excused. Um, but you know, it's I think in his situation, not to defend him, but it's tough because he clearly doesn't want to be there um, or, or wants a long term deal if he's going to be there. Um, they have not been willing to trade him. Dallas made a really strong offer, just have not been willing to do it. And you know, um, I think it's just really hard. He saw all of his veterans friends leave or, or face, you know, serious injuries and have their seasons end. I mean, this is, um, it is a tough reality for a, a superstar on a team that's very clearly rebuilding. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, let's go to the Thursday night game. I think everybody is, <laughs> is so excited that maybe the, the Browns got that win. But, wow, Baker Mayfield, he, he looked fantastic, uh, fantastic coming in for uh, Taylor. Talk to us a little bit about how that's going down. Well, um, you know, a lot of times in these situations, it's like, oh, you know, what are the Browns going to do with their quarterback situation? Well, I think everybody knows. I mean, it is very obvious that they are going to go forward with Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. I mean, as one Brown source says to me, how do you go back? How do you go back to Tyrod now knowing what, what Baker Mayfield did on the field? How do you go back to Tyrod knowing that Baker led them to that dramatic win? And, and you know, not just the win, but, I mean, the offense looked legitimately different when he was, I mean, it looked like different players when he was on the field. This was what they needed. Tyrod's not bad, but he wasn't as good. Um, so it's very obvious that the Browns are moving forward with the number one pick in the draft and, you know, are going to be a better team for it. Chatting with our NFL insider, Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, Le'Veon Bell, as you know, tweeting this morning, he feels like people are taking him for granted. Do you expect any movements on his contract situation? You know, it's hard to say. I mean, trade—you know—getting a trade done for him would be incredibly difficult. Um, it would just be—you know—it's hard because it'd be a one-year rental. You're not allowed to do a long-term deal. There's no guarantee that he would like it there, or you know, be someone who would would come for more than you know a couple games—six games, eight games. You know, he's a fantastic player, but how much are you going to pay? And then for the Steelers, would it be worth it? You know, let's say they go to one and one, one and one. Tomorrow, maybe they win. Um, they know they get Bell back at some point. They can just withstand until he comes back. He's not going to set up the season. So maybe that they just say, you know what, we just we don't want to do anything. And that's what's so hard is like, is the draft compensation going to be enough on any level for them to be even thinking about dealing him? And we appreciate the information. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Take care, guys. Thank you. We continue on NFL First and Goal, the podcast. Now let's break down the game between the Colts and Eagles with Howard Eskin, sideline reporter for Sports Radio 94 WIP and the Eagles Radio Network. Let's recap the Eagles' victory over the Colts, highlighted by the return of Carson Wentz. Always a pleasure to check in with Howard Eskin, sideline reporter for Sports Radio 94 WIP and the Eagles Radio Network. Howard, we appreciate you taking the time beyond the stats. How did Carson Wentz look to you from your vantage points on field level? The first thing I, I got to say, Brian, Eric Allen, do you ever play with the Eagles? <laughs> How you doing, buddy? <laughs> I had to take that shot. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, we, we know you know everything about what's going on out there. Uh, like like Brian says, how did, how did, how did uh, Carson look today? Yeah, I get it. Carson, you know what? I was, uh, well, I guess I wasn't surprised because this guy's he, he's really kind of a different kind of person. 
never, and he said the same thing after the game, never had any thoughts, any hesitation, and I believe him. He came out there, I mean, the first series. Now, I know he's got a lot of energy. Uh, his team, he's had a lot of energy. And the first series, he marches the team down the field and scores a touchdown. Now, they had some other issues. Remember, uh, during the game, remember, they don't have all their weapons. They don't have Alshon Jeffrey. They're right. missing two running backs on offense. So you've got to take it in consideration. And he had uh, a couple of turnovers. One of them was his fault. The other, the fumble, he tried to make a play. But he extends plays, and you could just see why he was, and I think he was the MVP last year, even though he missed three and a, you know three games in a quarter. Yeah, I agree. Uh, why he was that good, because he just has a knack. He's got instincts, and he's got a knack to extend plays. And he's not even at his best, obviously. It's his first game. But I thought, all in all, when you consider he hasn't played for, what, nine months, he really did a good job. Now, they got to score more points than that. Uh, they've got to... They've got to generate some more offense, but it, but obviously no Darren Sproles. That's that's no Jay Ajayi. So the running game and Corey Clement and Smallwood did a nice job, but still, it's just he really he was impressive. I thought he was impressive his first game back in a long time. Were there any uh, handcuffs on him? I, I, early in the early in the game, I seen him get outside the pocket and and kind of open it up a little bit. I was a little surprised about that, that he didn't automatically slide. Were there were there any handcuffs on him saying, hey, Carson, if you're outside the pocket, make sure you get down early? It didn't seem like that, but uh, is he the kind of guy who's going to allow handcuffs on him, or he's just going to continue to play the way he's always played? No, it's interesting. Before the game, I was talking to Doug Peterson. It was raining steadily into late into the third quarter here. So before the game, I saw Doug. I said, Doug, are you going to kind of back off a little bit on the things you want to do with Carson, he says, absolutely not. He said, we're going to do everything. We're, you know, we're guns blazing. We're going to do everything he's done before. And I think as a, as a former quarterback, and he wasn't obviously as, uh, as agile as Carson and the kind of guy that extended plays when Doug Peterson was a quarterback. But I guess he knows, I mean, Eric, I forget. And you were Superman, so you never had an injury. But uh, I forget what it's like when you when players come back. I, I forget what they've said. But no, not a little bit. You didn't even think about it. Just, my gosh, this guy's running. He ran for plays. He ran to the sidelines. He leaped for a first down to extend a drive, and it was it was in the second half. He extended a drive where uh, he took off left and he. He dove for the first down. I'm telling you, nothing, not any indication. If you didn't know he was injured, you say you you wouldn't know he was injured just by watching what he does in the game. No handcuffs whatsoever. And and the head coach Doug Peterson never put anything on him and didn't tell him, yeah, take it easy. They wanted to play smart, but they told him that last year. You know, don't take a hit that you shouldn't hit. Uh, shouldn't take. Right. But these ACL injuries, here's the, you know, the thing that, and maybe this is one of the things he thinks about, they're not even contact injuries. I didn't yeah. see the play with Jimmy Garoppolo. I don't know if it's an ACL or an MCL. And I guess we won't know until that until tomorrow. But ACL injuries aren't even contact injuries. When he, he got, tore his ACL, it wasn't because of contact. He made a move. So, no, no handcuffs. He played like Carson Wentz has always played. Chatting with our friend Howard Eskin from the Eagles Radio Network. Howard, a lot of conversation 
in the wake of any championship in the NFL about a potential Super Bowl emotional hangover. Do you sense any of that with this club? Uh, I don't. I don't. And the thing that's hard to tell, here's what I think happens. When a team plays a long season, they play more games than almost every other team except one, uh, you or maybe, I don't know, I guess the Patriots didn't have a, they probably had a bye week last year, but the, the, the point is, your season's so long, your off season's so short, I think injuries are, because your body just gets beat up for all those games, and then you're coming back with less time off. But I didn't, I have not sensed a hangover. I sensed a lot of energy, certainly from the fans today and from his teammates. Uh, I certain a lot of energy in the first game against Atlanta. Now the Tampa game was a joke. That second game when they get when Ryan Fitzpatrick lights him up is ridiculous. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's just ridiculous. Uh, Fitz magic, my rear end. <laughs> but whatever. That was the Eagles that created that magic with the, the, the terrible defense they played right. and a lot of penalties. But no, I have not sent a hangover. Now we're only three games into the season, and the next two games are going to be tough and Minnesota here. I still think Minnesota's a good team, even though that was a disgrace what happened to them at home today. Uh, so, no, I have not, to answer your question, Brian, I have not sensed any kind of hangover. My last one for you, Howard, is, again, do you see the team, particularly on the defensive side, building, or are we at a point now where this is where they are? Are they gonna, a team that's going to build and become better as the season progresses? I, I love Cox. He's an outstanding ball player. I think you get his A game every single week. But are there spots in the secondary or in the linebacker core that needs to, to play better? Well, I think they do need to play better, but it's not the defensive line. I think the linebackers, Bradham had some really nice plays today. Um, uh, Jordan Hicks is a a very good player. Jalen Mills has been up and down, and I think he's better than that. But Sidney Jones, they drafted last year with an injury, uh, is going to be good, and he's still kind of learning. He's playing in the slot in the secondary. He's playing a little bit of corner only when they need him, but that's very... That's very little. Um, the, they've got to get better at the safety position. And you'd hate to say that with Malcolm Jenkins and Rodney McLeod, but you've got to get better there. I mean, Malcolm admitted he made the mistake on that first touchdown last week against Tampa. Uh, he's, he's played well, but he's not played as well as last year. And Rodney McLeod, who had an injury today, and we'll know tomorrow how serious it is. It was a knee injury and we'll find out tomorrow. But I think they have to get better at the safety spot. But the other areas of the defense, I think, are good. But they're, gonna, they're a team that's going to score points and force the other teams to do things. And that's what they did a lot of last year. They scored, and they forced the other teams to, to play catch-up a little bit more than they wanted to. But I think they have to, if there's a, an area that I'd say has to improve, and I don't know if they can, would be the safety position. Howard, as we say goodbye, I've seen so many books and merchandise in the wake of the Super Bowl. We hope you've cashed in as well. <laughs> the only thing I got, I got a Super Bowl ring. Well, All right. I didn't cash in on that. Yeah, I didn't cash. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of the broadcast team as a sideline reporter, but it was an honor to be part of uh, the most together team uh, that I have ever seen on an Eagles team. And, Eric, I hate to, you know, I'm not disparaging the teams you were on. Oh, yeah, no problem. Guys. Everybody, everybody on that team was together. But I haven't cashed in yet, 
but I got plenty of time to do that. I'm not worried about money. I'm worried about having fun. There you go. And remember the checks in the mail here on the NFL on Tuna. Thank you, Howard. We'll chat with you later this season. All right. Good talking to you guys. We roll on on NFL First and Gold, the podcast detailing the game between the Saints and Falcons with Matt Tabeek from AtlantaFalcons.com. Now let's recap. The Saints' victory over the Falcons in overtime. Pleased to be joined by Matt Tabeek from AtlantaFalcons.com. Matt, we appreciate you taking the time. I'm sure you were hoping for a different outcome, but this certainly was another classic. Always interesting when New Orleans and Atlanta get together. Oh, my gosh, guys. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It was, uh, yeah, this one, you just had the feeling, especially uh, right from halftime on, that uh, this one was going to come down to the end like these ones usually do. And, uh, you know, it was like two prize fighters trading uh, blow after blow. Uh, it was either going to come down to a mistake, a turnover, uh, but sure enough, it uh, went into overtime and, and Drew Brees did his thing, 15 play drive, and then uh, capped it with uh, a leap over the left guard for the win. But uh, both teams, both quarterbacks played really well. Um, ton of yards in this one, but uh, crazy game. Uh, Matt Ryan, I mean, five touchdowns today. I just unbelievable performance by him and that offense and we defensively I thought they were making so many strides can you talk to us a little bit about kind of what's going on defensively with this team today yeah well you mentioned Matt Ryan's first time in his career that he threw five touchdown passes in one game believe it or not but uh yeah, you know what? Defensively, the thing is with the Falcons, they they came into this one not to make excuses or anything, but they had they got two Pro Bowlers and Deion Jones and Keanu Neal out, and then Tack McKinley, their defensive end, was out. Uh, another defensive end, the backup Derek Shelby, was out, um, and then in this game, Ricardo Allen, their safety, went out. We don't know the extent of his injury, but. Um, they have a lot of guys thrust into roles right now that uh, are forced to step up. But, uh, yeah, a little bit undermanned, but uh, still they hung with them. Um, you know, once they get those guys back and, and having Deion Jones out uh, really hurt them today in that he's a speedy linebacker. And, you know, part of that, the Falcons like to keep everything in front of them. And, and when they have, like, the Christian McCaffreys and the uh, Alvin Kamaras of the world, um, they let those guys catch those short little passes, but then they swarm tackle. And Deion Jones is one of the best and most instinctive. So they, I feel like they, they kind of lo- really felt like they lost uh, or missed him today. We're spotlighting the Falcons with Matt Tabeek from AtlantaFalcons.com. Matt Calvin Ridley validating his first-round selection coming out of Alabama wow. with three touchdown receptions today. How important could he be for this offense moving forward as a compliment to Julio Jones? He is, he is, he did what he did today is what you know, we've been waiting for him to do. He, uh, in practice, we see it. Uh, but yeah, he is going to add another dimension to this, uh, receiving trio with, you know, now with Mohamed Sanu and Julio Jones. Um, yeah, like you mentioned, he had 146 yards receiving today, three touchdowns, that 75 yarder, uh, you know, with something else. But he adds, a completely different dimension to this already potent offense. Uh, they're missing Devontae Freeman, but Tevin Coleman, you know, was filled in for him today. But they just couldn't get their run game going today like they had last week. Uh, still, they stuck with it. Um, but, yeah, they uh, it paid off with the play action. And uh, Ridley, is he is going to be <laughs> you know, special. 
Yeah, he, he looked like he was, man, not the number two today. Sometimes he looked like the, no. the number one <laughs> for sure. And again, offensively, when you look at, of course, the running game has to be there, right? The running game has to complement yeah. to be able to keep Drew Brees kind of off the football field. Going exactly. forward, looking at division, you got Cam, you got, you know, the Saints again, and uh, you got Tampa who's, who's flying high. Where, right. what is the Atlanta Falcons thinking right now with division so tough? Well, you know that's what today today was so big too. They they could have gone to two and one and then two and zero oh in the division with a win. Instead, they're one and two and one and one. But uh, you know, I I don't think there's there's no panic with this team. Uh, you know, I think it's going to be it's going to be you know go right out to the end. I think with this one, but uh, they do get Deion Jones back and they'll get a number of guys back. Um, you know, they still have Cincinnati and Pittsburgh coming up, but. There's no panic, but I do. It's 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 a crazy division. It's ultra competitive. Um, in Tampa Bay, you know, we thought they were going to be good last year, and now they're kind of playing like the team we thought they were going to be last year. And, and Fitz, Fitzpatrick is just uh, playing out of his mind right now. So it'll be. They have a really good test Monday night against the Steelers. It's going to be interesting to see how long he can keep that going. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, the Saints are always tough, and uh, for whatever reason, they were out of sync the first two games. Today, they they definitely got back on track. You know, I think a good rivalry game kind of locks you in <laughs> helps your focus a little bit. But, uh, yeah, these two teams today, just uh, blow for blow today. It was, it was fun to watch. It was fun to be in here. Um, watching it, but uh, Drew Brees is man, he's he's something special. Another thrilling game between the Saints yeah. and Falcons, Matt. We know it's a long broadcast day for you, so we appreciate you taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's break down the matchup between the Raiders and Dolphins with Chris Fisher from NBC Six TV in Miami. Let's recap Miami's latest victory. They beat Oakland today to improve to a. A surprising 3-0. and Pleased to be joined by Chris Fisher from NBC6 TV in South Florida. Chris, we appreciate you taking the time. What were your biggest takeaways from today's matchup? The trick plays. The fact that the Dolphins had to resort to them in the fourth quarter because they weren't able to get anything going offensively throughout the first three quarters of this game. The Dolphins were held to just 17 rushing yards through the first three quarters of play. Ryan Tannehill went deep once to Kenny Stills. He was able to connect on that. But from there, it really was the trick plays that made this game go and work out for the Dolphins. We saw the halfback toss to Jakeem Grant go for 18 yards. Then there was the pass by Albert Wilson to Jakeem Grant that went 58 yards for a touchdown. And Albert Wilson then on a sweep for a 78-yard touchdown that solidified the victory for the Dolphins to move to 3-0 and and unbeaten for the first time through three games since 2013. Well, 28-0 today, and it comes from behind when you have to be excited, though, about the 3-0 and start. What can you build upon defensively uh, to help this team kind of get through the next couple of weeks? When you look at the defense right now, the fact that they were on the field for drives of 14, 15, and 17 plays to keep the Dolphins in this game. Xavier Howard, what a playmaker he has become. Through the last eight games, he has caused seven interceptions. He's being a shutdown corner right now. He is just simply hot. The defensive line, despite Ndamukong Sue leaving during the offseason, they have stepped up in the defensive tackle positions and done a great job of stuffing the run. 
It was difficult today, obviously facing Marshawn Lynch and Doug Martin. They held the Raiders to 109 yards rushing. But their defense has bent and not break through the first three games, allowing the offense to step up. If there's one thing that the Dolphins are building upon, it is definitely their defense at this point, which is really interesting considering last year they were 29th in the league in total defense. Talking Dolphin football with Chris Fisher from NBC6 TV in Miami. Chris, Ryan Tannehill, highly efficient today. 17-23, three touchdown passes beyond the stats. How has he looked to you coming back from his latest knee injury? He has looked outstanding as far as running the ball when he's been called upon to do so, and that has been quite a bit. He actually led all of the Dolphins players' uh, running backs today in rushing. He led all the players in rushing. So he looks good with the left knee. Um, he still has to learn how to slide on the right side. Last week, he uh, kind of got tangled up there on the left knee slide. But throwing the ball, he has been very efficient. Adam Gase has used a lot of these six, seven-yard dump-off passes, and that's made him very efficient. And when he is having his chances to go deep, he has connected. He hit Kenny Stills on a 34-yard pass today for a touchdown. We've seen that the deep ball is there. They don't go to it a lot with Tannehill right now. I think it's a timing situation and something we'll see more of as Adam Gase decides to dial it up more throughout the course of the season here. Yeah, as you look at the numbers, are they going to be able to rely on the trick plays? Can they just come into a game and say, hey, we're going to run the football with with Gore and Drake. We're going to attack folks with with our receivers. As you look at the numbers, that really doesn't tell uh, if you guys can really bank on those uh, aspects of of the team. Are they going to have to rely on these trick plays, or can they get back to some balance in, in their offense? I think they can find balance in the offense. Today, they just struggled mightily, and it has been something where it, the offense is developing later in the game, more so in the second half. Adam Gates has a knack for calling the right play at the right time, but the problem that we have been seeing here in Miami is the fact that there's struggles to pick up first downs on third down. A lot of those six- and seven-yard dump-offs, because they're looking at you know third and nine, third and eight, and they're not really working out in that regard. But the running game has been able to be there with Kenny and Drake and Frank Gore working as that two-headed monster. Today they got Devontae Parker back for the first time. He had two receptions for 40 yards. So they're looking for a lot more from him. And they have a playmaker in Jakeem Grant. This guy has a nose for the end zone and the speed to outrun the secondary. So it's a work in progress right now with this offense. As we know, Adam Gase wants to run that up-tempo style. It just didn't really work out for them today against the Raiders, even though they walk away with the victory. Chris Fisher, NBC6 TV in Miami is our guest. It's first and goal on the NFL on TuneIn. Ryan Fitzpatrick, not the only Fitz magic in the league. What kind of impact is rookie safety Minka Fitzpatrick having for the Dolphins? Well, he had a fantastic first two games, but today he struggled. Rashad Jones, a former pro bowler, was inactive with a shoulder injury, re-aggravating something he had surgery on a couple of seasons ago. So he stepped in for his first start and the very first drive of the ball game, the Raiders went after the rookie as he was playing the single high safety. Jordan, Jordy Nelson had 139 yards receiving on just three catches on the Raiders' first two drives, so they were attacking him. They had to drop back T.J. McDonald to cover instead and play the deep safety. So Minka is learning on the fly, and he has played extremely well for, through the first two games. He did have 10 tackles today, which is a great stat. And a lot of the players in the locker room believe He's playing like a veteran. He's not that rookie. But the rookie learning curve is there at times. It displayed itself a little bit today, but he able he was able to recover, and he is a very nice addition to this Dolphins defense. Chris, we appreciate the analysis. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today on the NFL on TuneIn.
always. Take care. We're back on NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on the intersection of sports and physics. It's time for the Playing with Science Checkdown, where science and sports collide. Let's say hello to Gary O'Reilly and Dr. Eric Goff with a reminder you can listen to new editions of Star Talk podcast a week early here on TuneIn. Let's take it to Kansas City. More magic for Patrick Mahomes today. Guys, take us through the play. Okay, Professor, you know what to do. Do your thing. Okay, thanks, Gary. Well, it was third and goal for the Chiefs at the 49ers' four-yard line. Patrick Mahomes was standing at the 49ers' nine-yard line in the shotgun, ready to receive the snap. And Chris Conley, the wide receiver, was lined up on the far left side of the formation. When the ball was snapped, the 49ers' defensive tackle DeForest Buckner and defensive end Eric Armstead powered their way through the right side of the Chiefs' line. Defensive end Cassius Marsh used a great swim move to collapse the left side of the Chiefs' line. And linear momentum looked to be on the 49ers' side, and Mahomes had to recalculate. He backpedaled to the 13-yard line when he realized he had to improvise, spinning backwards to his left with Cassius Marsh in hot pursuit. Marsh chased Mahomes all the way back to the 49ers' 24-yard line, and Mahomes then turned on the Jets and ran toward the right side of the field. Conley followed his quarterback's play, crossing deep in the end zone. Mahomes then let rip on the run at the 19-yard line and finding Conley in the back right corner of the end zone. It'll go in the record books as a four-yard TD pass, but Mahomes took 7.2 seconds as he scrambled a total distance of about 32 yards before releasing his pass, which actually traveled about 29 yards. He threw off his right foot, but because he was running nearly 20 miles per hour when he released the ball, His mind had to add his velocity to the ball's velocity, and he was able to throw the ball at about 53 miles per hour. Conley got credit for a four-yard TD reception, but he ran about 60 yards before catching the ball. So, Gary, the four-yard TD pass entry in the box score doesn't reveal how much running and how much wonderful physics went into the play. Patrick Mahomes turned 23 just six days ago. I think we're in for many more jaw-dropping plays from that kid. Thank you, Professor Eric Goff from Lynchburg University in Virginia. I think we are in for a dazzling future with Patrick Mahomes. But just one fun fact, chaps. Chris Conley, who receives that pass, Wikipedia tell me he owns the vertical leap record at the combine at 45 inches. No wonder the Chiefs are high-flying. And now we know the rest of the story. Guys, your star power almost as big as Patrick Mahomes. We look forward to chatting with you again next week. That was the Playing With Science Checkdown. Make sure to check out the Playing With Science podcast with new episodes premiering one week early. All free, only on TuneIn. 